passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I am not a coward. I'm the one here, day in and day out, in that wrestling ring. I was torn. Uh, Miz really hit a nerve when he talked about me leaving and, and going to wrestle somewhere else because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do in my heart. But I promised Vince McMahon. I shook hands with him and told him I would finish out my contract. And that meant taking the high road and leaving the studio before things escalated and before I did what I really wanted to do, which was punch Miz in the face. Daniel Bryan was hiding behind a contract and hiding behind his injury, but he'll probably spin it into something noble. What? Do you think Daniel Bryan would have been fired for being a man? Are you kidding me? As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind to SmackDown. I'm John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting. What's going on, Wei? Not much, man. Um, I, honestly, not nothing. Like, I have nothing oh. new to add to what we've, uh, what's been going on in my life over the past 24 hours since I've spoken to you. I went to the dentist. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> anything, anything good news or bad? You know what? They had to do, this was like, they told me months in advance that the next time you come, it's going to be an hour and a half. We're going to do all the cleaning, all the x-rays. It's going to be the whole tune-up. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, fine, whatever. So I go, I do all these x-rays, blah, blah, blah. She's like cleaning. And then she goes, she like took like a breath. It was like, all right, your teeth they're very clean. You're doing a very great job. It's like, wow. Usually I always get a, you know, some kind of a complaint or you should be flossing more. Yeah, I got, hey, you've been doing a great job. There's not much more I can tell you. It's like, great. Okay. And? Hey, I was I was just really happy that I got that positive news. Oh. And I at think- the end, yeah, that, that there wasn't any. Uh, There's no twist? No, no. It was just, it was just good news. And then at the end, they were like, well, you know, with your uh, with your coverage, you could come back in six months, but you could come back in four and just get an extra cleaning in. It's like, why would I want to do that? I'm doing great. I'm doing fine on my own. So see you in six months. Can we make it seven? I'm not a big fan of uh, the instant, uh, you know, how many times you have to go to the dentist a year realistically? I'm clearly doing a fantastic job, so twice a year i think i should be i should be coming to you for my dentistry you should brush my teeth (laughs) that's a video yeah yeah for the future all right we have lots to get into it's a it's a daunting night um 
Before we start off and get into the news way, uh, do you want to let people know what they are in store for if they are a member for the cafe? Because on Tuesday nights, the cafe is open late. And what are we serving tonight? Double shot of whatever this is, because uh, we'll be talking a lot more about all the things that we can't cover on this show. And that'll include John's continuing coverage of Lucha Underground. It was This was a big hit last week. Uh, so I look forward to hearing what's been going on with the rabbit tribe and the reptile tribe and the feline tribe and the uh, dolphin tribe. I can't wait for all that. I will be talking about Being the Elite, the latest edition, which uh, features uh, uh, the match announcement of Kenny Omega versus Pentagon. And John will be giving us our very first book review on the double shot. Oh, it's a doozy way. I isolated some paragraphs. I, I, I'm ready for that book review. So go tune in and... More and more, I find the way that when I'm planning on things to review, I, I should be thinking of our entire audience. I'm thinking of you. All I do is think of what's going to get the best reaction out of Way. Oh, and that's wow. how I target things. Okay. So I can't wait. I'm, ho- I'm hoping you enjoy Way. I, I go for the absurd with you. Well, thank you. Uh, very quickly, before we move on, uh, coming up Thursday on Up Next, they will be giving out a single <laughs> ticket to... <laughs> NXT TakeOver Brooklyn this coming Saturday. This is either going to be the best or worst contest in post-wrestling history. We're going to find out on Thursday. Well, uh, actually, we know the person who is actually giving away the ticket. His name is Mitch Gelbkoff, and he is looking for a date. No, 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 not really a date. He's just got an extra ticket because a friend dropped out. So on Up Next, they'll be giving away a ticket, courtesy of Mitch. Thank you very much, Mitch. So subscribe to their feed and uh, check out how to win those tickets on Thursday. And a quick preview uh, coming up this week. In addition to Up Next on Thursday, Way and I will be back again on the cafe on Friday for all of our members. Patreon.com slash Post Wrestling with Rewind Away. This week we are rewinding to July of 1998 in San Diego, California for Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman against Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone. Yes or no, have you watched this match yet? No, I'm 40% of the way through this show. I don't even know how I'm going to watch the rest uh, I hope it gets better, is all I have to say. I feel right before that main event, watch your Ishigoto match right before it. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> Just for the true appreciation of that main event. Yeah. So that's going to come up Friday. That is a choice of our espresso executive producer, Thorsten Wendelmuth. Where we're, we are finally going to find out if it, if it is pronounced Wendelmuth or Vendelmuth. I have yet to hear back from Thorsten. So I don't even know if he'll be joining us on this show, so we might never know. But uh, Oh, but what a cliffhanger. I, yeah, but either way, we'll be reviewing his choice. Okay, well, that's coming up on Friday. Saturday, doubleheader day. We've got Eggshells with Chris Charlton. He's going to be joined by Nate Milton chatting the 1997 uh, happenings at the Tokyo Dome. And then Saturday night, uh, Braden Harrington has graciously invited me to join him to review NXT TakeOver which is going to be emanating live from Post Office West. Braden will be making his his debut here at Post Office Westway. Lovely. I hear the Post it's, Office is not too far from the BDE, actually. It's actually, it's, it's fairly close. We are in uh, different neighborhoods, but we are going to come together on Saturday. Uh, that should be fun, hanging out with Braden. And then Davey will join us, who is uh, going to be attending live. And then Sunday night, Wei Ting and I are going to sit down at 5 p.m. Eastern Time at approximately midnight, when the final match ends, we will then hop on and chat for hours about SummerSlam. Match by 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 match. 
All right. That was that was thirteen for those counting. Yeah. So it's an exciting week, way. Well, I look forward to it. What a great way to wind down from the G one by watching a sixteen match show or thirteen match <laughs> show. Can't wait. All right, let's get into uh, some of the news from the day. Some quick items here. Way, it's becoming our favorite. We've got a lawsuit. It seems like it's a regular occurrence. Um, sometimes I feel like this is the law. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, then wait, maybe we'll have a lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Entertainment have filed suit against Anthem Sports and Entertainment and their subsidiary, Anthem Wrestling Exhibitions. This was filed last Thursday, and they are alleging uh, several offenses, including copyright infringement, trademark infringement, and I I read through the whole case way, which for those of you that want to go uh, and check this out, it was Mike Johnson who first reported on this at PW Insider, and Pro Wrestling Sheet has the entire uh, lawsuit posted on their website, so you can go read the whole thing, which I have, because way in this lawsuit, they had to establish to the courts just who is Jeff Jarrett. And they cited not just his name, not just his position in the wrestling world, but this man, Way, has had 77 title reigns. I would say three quarters of which are thanks to Vince Russo. He is a 17-time world champion, and he is a member of not just the WWE Hall of Fame, but as well the TNA Hall of Fame. Okay. All true. I just, I just found it interesting reading all this stuff in a, a formal lawsuit. So... Global Force Entertainment is the company that Jeff Jarrett is attached with. And this all centers around the tapings that they did in 2015 for Global Force Wrestling Amped. Amped. They did 16 hours of original content. And we got a little timeline here of how the worlds of Jeff Jarrett and Anthem came together in a holy matrimony in 2016-2017, where they began talks in October of that year. And then he came on board as a consultant in January 2017, as uh, Anthem had taken over majority control of Impact. And then in May, they signed a term sheet. And if you remember, they put out a press release announcing Anthem had that they had entered into the into an agreement to acquire Global Force Wrestling and Jeff Jarrett would become chief creative officer. And he'd also get an equity stake in the company. Uh, That merger never actually went through. And according to Jarrett's side, this term sheet also stipulated that Global Force Entertainment would retain the rights to that, that amped television show. And that's the focus of the whole suit, is that after Jeff Jarrett went through all of those issues, he was terminated from the company last October, uh, Anthem has promoted these amped episodes. They have put them on pay-per-view. They've been selling DVDs on the Shop Impact website. Uh, I believe they're on the Global Force wrestling uh streaming service so not only are they suing over that and whatever damages have been incurred they also take issue with the name global wrestling network their streaming service being very similar to global force entertainment also using a green color scheme and thinks it's too similar so they are requesting a to get the master copies of amped returned and all duplicates destroyed on anthem's end and they are seeking an award of punitive and or treble damages for at least three times the amount of the defendant's profits or Global Force Entertainment's damages, uh, which they are seeking a jury trial out of all of this. Mm-hmm. So 
Anyway, I don't know really how much we're talking about here, but I will say the first thing I thought of, Way, is that if this gets to the discovery phase, we will find out some interesting stats on what the Global Force Wrestling uh, streaming service, what the numbers are, and maybe some interesting business notes to see kind of the health of Impact Wrestling. But um, Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Three times, though, I mean, um, I, I do wonder exactly what that number might be because uh, – I, I wonder how much money they would have made from the broadcast of, of, of those global amp shows. Certainly, you know, as a wrestling uh, fan, it's not necessarily something I heard a whole ton of buzz about when whenever those those things were aired. Um, if they let's are- be honest, we're, we're talking minuscule amounts like these. These episodes were taped in 2015. They were never sold. They just this was two. This was two years later by the mm-hmm. time. Uh, almost two years later when this term sheet was signed that you're talking about however many people may have bought any of these episodes on pay-per-view, which I can't imagine is a significant number. And with the streaming service, I don't even know how you could calculate the value of those specific episodes to someone signing up for that service. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just interested into seeing if they would be you know, having to release certain information about their business uh, through discovery that some of that would come out and you'd get a sense of how is their streaming service doing, for instance. Sure. Yeah. You know, from, from I guess on, on the other hand, you know, it felt like TNA and Anthem uh, and Impact, I mean, were, were kind of like just over the hump of like, you know, all that negative press. And all of a sudden, something like this comes around that just kind of drags them back in. And I kind of feel bad for some of the employees, uh, you know, the, the wrestlers that work there. Because, uh, I mean, from the sounds of it, it sounds like Jarrett uh, thinks he has a very good case. So uh, I, I wonder how this will play out. It'll uh, it'll be interesting. And, I mean, at the end of it all, uh, I think we can expect that at least, at the very least, that Global Wrestling Network will have its name changed. Are you... Are you- predicting a name change do you think they'd be uh hesitant for for a name change why what i'm just mean? saying that that was kind of the story of 2017 was so many name changes oh everything. yeah yeah uh by the way i did go onto their website and i know that mike johnson had posted that as of this afternoon they were still selling those dvds and when i looked there were none so mm-hmm. they may have already pulled them down and i guess kind of the obviously anthem side they have not um spoken about anything or or issued a statement anything of that sort i guess the curiosity would be the language in that term sheet if Mm -hmm. in fact it states in clear uh language which that that was not included in the suit we at least couldn't see that term sheet if it was an exhibit but if it states it plain as day that global force entertainment retains the rights to the amped episode that seems pretty open and shut you would think um but obviously, mm-hmm. I don't think Anthem are people that are just going to, you know, open themselves up litigiously for if something was so black and white, you would think. So. I, I also wonder if, you know, the fact that Jarrett was dismissed due to, you know, the circumstances that he was dismissed under would have any bearing on any of that. Uh, probably not to the to the point where, you know, uh, Anthem would have the right to sell the DVDs that they don't technically own. Uh, but again, I'm not really sure. I don't know what the language is in, in those contracts. Mm, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, w- one other follow up while we're on the uh, the the legal side. I did I did speak to a lawyer on uh, Tuesday uh, regarding the Punk and Cabana uh, story, and you know, just kind of 
getting their sense of the entire case. And obviously, one of the big elements of that case is why Punk side ultimately decided to drop Cabana. Did they have a valid reason? And that's kind of going to be what Colt is going to have to prove here is that he was somehow unjustly dropped. And even even if he can prove that, it doesn't necessarily mean that Punk had to hold up his end of the bargain here. Like the mm-hmm. the like what they signed with the lawyer at the beginning in 2015 was that Punk would be billed. But that doesn't mean necessarily that you know when Colt was dropped that Punk had to assume all the future costs, even though he might have at one time given his word that he would. I guess with Colt, his argument is that, listen, I never would have been in need of separate legal counsel. I wouldn't have needed legal counsel, period, if I hadn't entered this case, which was contingent on you uh, covering me financially. And obviously, something happened between the two, and Punk may have had a completely legitimate reason for not wanting him to be part of their legal team any longer. That's the big unknown is is Punk's side in all of this. Um so mm-hmm. that's kind of where where that case is, and yeah, I guess that's uh, might write about this later this week. But anyway, that is uh, the latest on on the legal front. All these lawsuits, way I think we should have gone to law school. It would have come in handy, certainly. Uh, one other note before we get to SmackDown uh, was the passing on Tuesday of Doc Dean, who some people may remember from his time as a prelim wrestler uh, with WCW, uh, fairly well-known uh, British wrestler that started very young. At the age of 14, he formed a tag team with Robbie Brookside. They were the Liverpool lads and then came to WCW in the mid-90s. And he was just one of those guys that you could tell was pretty talented that had no kind of support in WCW and was typically relegated to Saturday night and episodes of Pro. Um, and then kind of just got out of the industry. He moved to Florida because of WCW and ended up just staying there. And there hasn't been a cause of death uh, revealed yet. He was only 48 years old, but a number of people were uh, tweeting about him today, including William Regal, Robbie Brookside, uh, Drake Maverick, Rockstar Spud, and many others. And I know that the British Wrestling Experience crew, uh, they will be dedicating time to uh, discussing Doc Dean on next week's uh, podcast as well. So you can look further into that. Um, so those are the main news and notes items. You can get the rest all up at postwrestling.com. Are you ready to chat about SmackDown way? The final SmackDown before SummerSlam. I'm ready. I'm also ready to chat about SummerSlam uh, as we give our preview at the end of this review. Yes. So hang tight. We are going to go through all 13 matches. I don't know how long the show is going to end up being. You at home can look down and see how long it took us, but this could be, we'll try and be uh, efficient. So, the show began from Greenville, South Carolina, with Charlotte coming out, followed by Becky Lynch and Carmella for, as Carmella described it, a face-to-face-to-face, and stated, I'm tired of your faces. She's sick of being punished for being such a great champion, and she's taking shots at Becky, saying, you know, you used to perform as a clown, maybe you can go back to being that, because that's one thing you're better at Charlotte then. And Becky... She reluctantly admits she doesn't want Charlotte to be in this match, but not because she has anything against her, just that it now has forced her to come up with a new plan to beat both of them. So they played the passive-aggressive Becky Lynch throughout this episode. And Carmella said that Becky was the first SmackDown Women's Champion, but that's only because Charlotte was on Raw. And Charlotte can't hang with the division, 
Uh, Charlotte says that Carmella can't hang with the division. She has to bend the rules, had to bring out James Ellsworth to beat Asuka, and told her, you're a diva living in a woman's era. I like that line. I, I like the... F- the, I find it interesting that they they distinguish you know uh, the serious wrestlers in Charlotte and Becky with the uh, Carmellas and I suppose your um, kind of Lanas of of the current roster as your divas and your women. Uh, it, it it's a little bit kind of uh, very offensive, but I really liked Carmella coming back and saying she's proud of being a diva because uh, I think there's merit to having all types of people on the roster. So Paige comes out and thanks Carmella for losing to Charlotte to make this a three-way and then says that we're going to see them do what they do best. And she throws Carmella onto commentary and made a tag match with Charlotte and Becky against Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville to start off the show. Mandy Rose was uh, pulling Charlotte down by the hair and then uh, we went through a commercial break. Mandy comes in. Gets a big scoop slam. The advantage is on Becky, who then lands an enziguri. Becky fires up, and Charlotte is reaching and reaching for the tag, and Becky just ignores her. She hit a Bexploder. She went for a drop kick that totally missed Sonya. And then Mandy gets a small package, which Becky kicks out of, applies the disarmor, and wins with the tap. Uh, with the, the subtle message that Becky was ignoring Charlotte and just taking care of the match herself, not relying on Charlotte for help. It was so subtle that I don't know if the announcers picked up on it at all because there's no mention of that plot point on commentary. And granted, I understand Carmelo was there, so I could see them being somewhat distracted from some of the nuances of this match. But it was a major point of this match, and I think I was a little disappointed that I didn't hear the commentators at least uh, bring it bring it to light. They did bring it up later in the promo, but you're right. The announcers didn't call any attention to this. Carmelo just held the title up on the desk Miz and Maurice did a selfie promo, and they announced how great their show is, and it's so great, the USA Network has renewed it for a second season, which they are going to get 14 episodes in season two as compared to six for this first season. So that show has clearly been a big hit for the USA Network. Yeah, uh, I've only seen one episode thus far. Um I don't know if I'm that interested to see the rest, but I think I'm I'm kind of surprised that it's... I guess, you know, is it even successful or is it just the fact that it's a wrestling reality show that's on USA? It's it's done. I I thought it was going to drop more than it has. The first week was about 1.43 million. The second week was down slightly. And then last week was, I want to say like 1.22 million, something like that. So it's been relatively not that big of a drop. And I think tonight's episode with the birth, um, probably might even be up. Uh, I, I could see that being a big episode. I guess it makes me wonder, you know, what the possibilities are out there for wrestling WWE-related reality programming. And if they're possibly, you know, maybe more enticing uh, uh, characters that they could feature besides the, the Miz and Maurice. Or is it the fact that they need kind of that, you know, husband and wife dynamic in all of these things? Like, I would love to see a reality show just focused for perhaps on on some of like Samoa Joe. I I mean, I I don't know how that would ever play out, but uh, essentially we're just kind of, kind of talking about, you know, documentaries, aren't we? But is it that reality shows kind of demand that, you know, uh, I I suppose female uh, uh, quota. Uh, 
I think I think that the fact that they have kind of the spinoff as well from Total Divas that probably has helped a little bit. But I don't know. I haven't watched the show, so I can't really comment on maybe what what stands out for people. But the fact is, they've they found an audience for this. This has been a much more successful show than Tough Enough was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you can do upwards of you know closing in on a million and a half viewers, that's that's pretty good for cable these days. So I mean, you. you I didn't think that this would necessarily uh, be a big hit just because the standards were so much higher on the USA network than on E. So this has it's done well for them. I wonder who's next to get a reality show. Um, I'm sure. It, hey, if USA is renewing them for 14 episodes, I'm I'm sure they might be revisiting this in the future, especially when you're you're losing two hours of WWE programming on Tuesday night that maybe this is. This kind of differentiates them. It, it's not just their the wrestling programming network, but they have stuff that is attracting the wrestling audience that is still, um, I, I think, invites non-fans a lot easier than, say, an episode of SmackDown does. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after that, um, Charlotte and Becky are backstage, and Charlotte says that Becky didn't have to do it all by herself, and Becky just plays dumb and says... I wasn't in there that long, was I? No, I get it. I get it. SummerSlam's going to be amazing. And Charlotte says, may the best woman win. And Becky says, she will. I'm enjoying this slow build. They're going into this match as friends, but with everybody taunting Becky, kind of getting under her skin about having to battle out of Charlotte's shadow. And I think it's a really good first chapter for what I would assume to be a, a longer rivalry between the two that should continue beyond SummerSlam. I think the best thing for the feud is Charlotte wins the title on Sunday. Oh, yeah. I think you, I think you get Carmella out there, and there's a better story to tell of Becky. Here she had Carmella served on a golden platter, and Charlotte messed it all up and got the accolades. And I, I just think that's a better story to tell because this is chapter one, and Becky winning the title should be the climax and just would be short-sighted, I think, to do it this Sunday. That seems to be the the direction to me. To me, there's no reason to put Charlotte in there unless you want to have that obstacle for Becky. And I think the way they're pushing Becky is that of an underdog. And the underdog just winning the title kind of kills the underdog. So then uh, Becky went to leave the scene and Asuka walked in, head kicked Charlotte and said, no one's ready for Asuka until this Sunday. And they made it a four-way. That did not happen. Oscar was not on this show, and I would imagine it's probably not going to be on Sunday's show. The Bludgeon Brothers took on uh, three enhancement performers who went by the name The Triple Threat. Uh, a friend of mine, Andrew, on Facebook let me know that one of these guys was an EMT the night before. Oh, that's that's a huge upgrade in the, uh, I guess, the, the indie world to be able to transition like that. Um, I, I wasn't aware who any of these three were. Um, they attacked all three. The match actually didn't even begin. They just murdered them with a double crucifix bomb to one avalanche into the barricade on another. They just stacked them on each other. Rowan body slammed Harper onto both. And then Rowan just clotheslined one off the turnbuckle to end the segment. Just a bludgeon, a bludgeoning. That was the segment. So, so in the unofficial, unofficial record books, would this, would something like this even register as a match? Yeah. The bell didn't ring, so I guess not. Hmm. This yeah. is like Ricky Roberts, who is still undefeated on Raw, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. Like, if you're in storyline, 
what wouldn't you want to just wait for the bell to ring so that you could just beat this guy and like win your uh get your win bonus the win bonus yeah they gave that up here yeah hmm. they're not smart they're just very violent yeah that's what we've learned by the way have you seen elias uh promoting his show on saturday he has promised it will be 5 till 6 p.m. and he refuses to perform a minute longer. Oh, wow. Okay. Five to One six. hour. That's Saturday. Saturday, yes. Right. I guess they maybe there were enough people who said, man, is this going to bleed into TakeOver? And they want to make it perfectly clear this will be done uh, with an hour. to Because uh, TakeOver is at 7 o'clock. It's not airing at 8 this year. So mm-hmm. if you were going to go to that, you probably want to be reassured that you'll be done and have plenty of time to go to the Barclays Center and be ready for takeover, which even that, you've got yeah, you've got an hour to kill. They plugged SmackDown, the 1,000th episode, noting this is episode 991 of SmackDown. Then we had the first of three videos promoting The Miz and Daniel Bryan. So as they put together SmackDown, they clearly saw Daniel Bryan's interview on the gorilla position. About not being able to tell this story effectively. Uh, the history between them. Maybe it had something to do with it because I think uh at least they like it it brought that concern to light. So it kinda goes to show you if you are in the position of somebody like a Daniel Bryan, it's kinda worth complaining. This I would say this Brian Miz feud, it definitely needed something like this on oh, this yeah. final show. Absolutely. So the first video goes back to season one of NXT, and Brian is explaining (laughs) NXT was very different in 2010. It was not cool, folks. Uh, And it's just sit-down interviews with both. And Brian explains uh, the goofy challenges they showed, like all these guys just looking like total idiots on the show. Miz says he was a star for five years. He had been a reality star. They're showing him on the real world. So Brian then explains that Miz wants respect so badly but he doesn't want to work for it. And the story was that Miz wanted to turn Brian into him. And Daniel Bryan was eliminated from the first season after losing 10 matches. And then it culminated in a match on Raw in May that year where Brian beat Miz and he realized he didn't need Miz and maybe Miz needed him. And that was kind of the theme throughout these videos is that both feel they need the, uh, both feel that the other needs them to stay relevant and to be better. Oh, this was exactly what I've been waiting for. Anytime you show me some old footage or old photos, I'm totally in. And especially for this feud, boy, did I love this. I think videos like these were everything I wanted out of this feud. By reminding us of how long this feud has been brewing, it adds so much weight to this upcoming match. And I thought they did a great job here presenting the beginning of that story. Um, And also by reminding us that uh, exactly how bad that original NXT was. That show was so bad. Like I remember when they announced. Can you can you imagine that was their idea for that show? That's when they dropped ECW. That they'd run that into the ground, so they had to change it around, and they came up with this. Like what a it, what it, an it, awful idea it turned out to be. Even though you got that great payoff at the end with the with the group, it was the worst during the women's season where you had Cole doing his heel thing, and him and Matthews were just like not paying attention at all to the matches, like. They have to be like look at look at where they went from there into now trying to promote this evolution pay per view with the women. It just uh, they've come a long way at least uh, into realizing that hey, we shouldn't be using our airtime to be making fun of our own talent. So that was terrible, and I really enjoyed this because like 
they booked Daniel Bryan to go 0 and 10 in that show. And really just, I can't think of any other reason than to spite that internet fan base that loves him so much. So they, they had Bryan here basically try to in kayfabe explain why he lost all those matches and he blames it all on the Miz. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought they they kind of did a good job here of explaining all that terrible booking. Yeah, and then they did the same thing with uh, with Loki in the second season. Yep, just, yeah, again, same just, deal. Just out of spite. Yeah, it was... And AJ. Oh, it was just... Especially watching these highlights uh, of Brian in 2010. And my God, is it such a miracle that he got to where he was. Because for all the talk of, man, this brilliant idea that they had for them. Because this hardly ended at the after the season. Like, by 2013, it's not like they had turned the corner on this guy either. Yeah. He was he was not destined for this big this big spot in 2014. I think it, 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 it but I think it's treatment like that that really kind of had a had a had an effect on the audience that that it almost felt like this company was bullying these talents that we all seem to love so much into forcing them into these losses that created, you know, those organic uh uh reactions for baby faces like Daniel Bryan. And yeah, I guess you can kind of blame that for the way they book some of their baby faces today. Well, it, it was the best and the worst thing. It was the best thing for Daniel Bryan that he ended up overcoming all of that. It was the worst thing because they felt like they just, uh, oh, we they made just back, we, we they backdoored their way into yeah. this genius way of how to make stars. Mm-hmm. Sanity but took on. All yeah, the, go ahead. By the way, uh, for WWE 2K19, they announced that they're doing like a Daniel Bryan career mode. So you can. <laughs> Live through all this. I don't know if they'll be including the barrel competition or whatever in NXT, but uh, I, you might get some of this fun. How about when the Bellas think he's a he's a virgin when he's a vegan? I he's hope, dating. I hope dating include, Gail Kim. Yeah, I hope they include that. <laughs> Sanity took on the New Day in a six man tag. It's Kofi Kingston's thirty seventh birthday, so the crowd sang happy birthday to him. Uh this is a pretty fun six man. Uh, Killian Dane is now wearing a singlet instead of that t-shirt. So uh, a number of uh, big spots in this. There was a fisherman buster by Dane as they went through a break. Kingston then flipped through on a clothesline to hit a DDT to Killian Dane. Crowd was super hot when they tagged in Xavier Woods, who broke up, uh, broke up a cover with a top rope elbow drop several minutes later. Young hit a Death Valley driver onto the knees of Dane with Woods. And then E came in, breaking up a cover. Everyone was in, landing spots, taking each other down to the floor. Uh, Woods got his boot up in the corner as Big E lifted up Killian Dane, and they hit the up, up, down, down, and Big E pinned Killian Dane. I thought a pretty fun six-man. Fun match. I think the New Day are great. All of a sudden, they, they, they're starting to feel pretty special again, and they're certainly as over as ever, at least with tonight's audience. So, I, I, you know, I think this match with the Bludgeon Brothers will be good. I can't say that the rivalry is very hot at all to me. It does not feel personal at all. I haven't heard either team cut promos on the other. I suppose maybe like the Bludgeon Brothers backstage might have said something, but all those promos sound so generic anyway. I can never tell who they're talking about. I'm not even so sure that I've seen these two teams in the same room. So this hardly feels like it's a heated match between the two. I think you should have at least had the Bludgeon Brothers come out at the end of this or something, but... You know, that's that's the match that, that we're getting on Sunday. Yeah, I hope they have a good match together because we've said that with the Bludgeon Brothers when they've had these matches with whether it's Sheamus and Cesaro or even the first time with the New Day. And they haven't had the the all-out 
big match that I feel they're capable of, but have yet to see. Like the Bludgeon Brothers, it's it's kind of like a pretty simple formula that they limit their matches to. Beyond the match, though, I think they're they're in need of like an actual feud and an actual rivalry, which I don't think Creative has really given for them yet. Uh, I don't know. I kind of get the sense that creatively people don't know how to write for those two beyond backstage kind of Bray Wyatt-style promos and then the occasional squash match. Mm, And maybe it's because they need some, you know, fresh new baby faces in order to challenge them. I don't know if the New New Day is that. I just kind of want to see something a bit more personal between the two teams, whoever the Bludgeon Brothers are going to face. And they've run through every team. Mm -hmm. There's not many options outside of where where they've gone through everybody at this point. Part two of the Miz and Brian series focuses on the Talking Smack segment from August of 2016. That thing was two years ago. Uh, They showed highlights of each winning their WWE titles over the years, uh, each in WrestleMania main events, and... Then we go to Brian's retirement announcement in February of 2016, and you would have like these serious, introspective memories of Daniel Bryan as he's reliving this, and then we cut to Miz, who just responds so flippantly, of course he retired, because for years he was fighting pros when he was a, like he was a rookie, and Bryan explained he knew his style would catch up to him, but he couldn't work a safer style or be soft like the Miz. Then he became the GM, felt he did a pretty good job at it. Miz is contrasted by stating that he thought he was the worst, complained about barely getting on TV as champion, and that set the scene for Talking Smack. And a little tidbit here was Brian adding in the line about you know how everyone was telling him to quit at this time, that he had given his word to Vince McMahon that he would see his contract until the end rather than quit. Hmm. Interesting. Which... which the other side would be that had he just chosen to quit, he could have very well felt uh, found himself in a Neville situation where you're under contract. You can't just walk out of this deal regard- because they knew he would go wrestle elsewhere and they weren't prepared to let him wrestle. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been a real uh, just log jam between the two if he had actually tried to leave and go elsewhere when he had a binding contract. It's a, it's a tidbit that I, I could certainly believe in. And I think it's... There's certainly, I don't know if there's that much reason for Brian to really include it, but I'm glad he did because it kind of makes me feel like all of his words could be real. I thought this was really great because they they aired the segment, or at least highlights of the Talking Smack segment, and Miz getting in his face and later learning the fact that this was pretty much, they went in with a loose idea, but Miz just went way overboard and Brian just had to walk off the set. And Miz is chastising him for not being a man and standing up for himself and hitting him and said, do you really think Brian would have been fired for being a man? Like he was so great uh, at just pushing all the buttons in these promos. And they show Miz taking all of Daniel Bryan's moves. And Brian kind of insinuates that it was the talking smack promo that started his desire to try and go get cleared. And Miz ending it by saying, I am not only Daniel Bryan's pro, I'm his superior. This was so great. And Miz was awesome here. Brian was awesome here. I I mean, I think they did this very legendary segment justice in this little recap of it. Um, it, it this was the moment when the Miz really, I think, leveled up and showed that 
you know, I guess he was just always kind of doing all right. But this was, to me, a main event level type of promo that not many in that company are capable of. He had a great, um, very good year, I I would say, at least on the microphone that year, where I think he got into this zone where he could kind of cut these very realistic, angry promos almost on command. And you kind of saw that at the end of this uh, whole Miz and Brian retrospective, too. Yeah, I mean, that's the legacy of Talking Smack is that segment. That Mm -hmm. is the first thing you think of. And this, by the end of the second one, the first one didn't, to me, uh, it was good. It was a good start. It was the perfect part one of three parts for the night. By the end of this second one, they had hit a, a chord, a tone that very few grudge match feuds really reach in WWE where you felt this, this disdain from each other where this match felt really important by the end of this of whoever wins that you had this level of dislike between these two that they conveyed in these these segments i thought they really they really hit that level by the end of the second video yeah i i thought it was so good that i almost feel like i i wonder if how how these segments would have played out and how the overall feud would have felt had they spread these out throughout the weeks leading into SummerSlam rather than I think putting them all into the same week on the go-home show just to kind of let let the seriousness of the feud sink in. Because I'll say like watching the build throughout these several weeks, I don't think any of these moments were really on my mind all that much. It just felt like, oh, this is another match that's uh, booked for SummerSlam between two wrestlers. And I don't think the weight of that attack last week with uh, Brian attacking the Miz on the set of the Miz and, and, and Mrs. was... As I think impactful as maybe it would have been had I seen something like this right before it. And just, you know, you just recap that as Brian's attack on the Miz, which is how it was set up. Like we forget Brian was laid out with a glass vase to the head last week. Was that last week? Should that not have been? That was last week way on the show. so So the Miz and Maurice attack was that was last week. Right. Yes. Yeah, the one where he goes on the set, and then Miz lays him out with the glass vase. Mm -hmm. And nothing, nothing about that this week. Like, you would think that's a significant attack, a glass vase being broken over a man's head, not to mention the guy that's been out of action with uh, concussion problems. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that should have been either saved for a bigger angle down the road with somebody else, if you're gonna attack Brian in the head like that, because that felt really trivial by this. This, to me, was a much better direction to go with this feud. And it was just felt like it was even referenced last week. Then we move on and they promote that Miz and Maurice will be on the today show on Wednesday to chat about their, their season two renewal. And then Paige knocks on Samoa Joe's door and Joe and his hair answered and walked out and said that Joe was offered the same opportunity to go out tonight and address the WWE universe that AJ was, but Joe has refused and she wants to make sure that he doesn't uh, decide to become an extrovert tonight and ruin the main event at SummerSlam and asks Joe to be a professional. Joe says that you liked my killer instinct when you offered me this match, and I can't be unpredictable if I tell you everything I'm going to do, and promises to continue doing whatever he pleases whenever he wants, and Paige is going to have to wait and deal with the consequences. And perhaps he might just sit back and relax tonight. Regardless, he's going to enjoy his night. And he went back into his locker room. 
man, Joe got cheered here in this segment, and it was it did kind of feel like a very much a baby face, you know, stepping up to against authority segment with Joe refusing to do what Paige is telling him to do, and you know, heel or baby face, uh, Joe just he to me comes across like a real top star uh, throughout this entire build to this AJ Styles feud, and you can tell this crowd certainly wants it. So, however this feud uh, ends up happening, I think baby face or heel Joe could do a very good job. I'm so glad Joe was moved off of Raw. I can't imagine where he would be on Raw. I'm sure he'd be not in an awful position, but not like this. Yeah. Aiden English is in the ring. He sings about all good things coming to an end, and he's going to make Andrade pay, and tonight he fights for Rusev Day. Aiden English and Andrade, uh, this is going to be, the mixed tag is going to be on the kickoff show on Sunday. There was this knee into a spinning elbow that looked really good from Almas, and then he hit the double knees and the hammerlock DDT to pin this guy in a minute 26. Just a backdrop for Vega and Andrade to cut a promo in the ring. Vega says, if you like catchphrases and useless holidays, this Sunday will be the end of Rusev Day, the end of Lana Day, and Vega is going to expose Lana as dead weight that's dragging down her husband. So Rusev and Lana come out. Rusev says they look like they just won the Power Bowl. And their luck runs out this Sunday. Zelina is going to learn why Lana is the best and Lana's number one. And I guess they assume that this whole crowd in Greenville was just going to erupt in unison and sing this song. And about 10 people did. Yeah, it didn't really work this week. Ooh, this was no. painful to watch them just try and milk it. I think just the tone of, of like their comeback was really off because that whole that Lana song is very much a almost like a joke thing. You know, and to kind of do it, deliver it here at the end of what felt at least like a bit more of a serious promo from Zelina Vega. Didn't feel like this was all that serious of a feud by the end of it. Yeah, I I kind of feel that it's. It almost feels as though they they have a false sense of how over Lana is in comparison to Rusev, where I just feel they've they've attached a lot to Lana that they think she's over when it's really I think they truly just like chanting along with certain things Rusev directs them in, and they've just tried to extract it over to Lana as well, that it's Lana Day now, and and Lana's got her chance. And it just didn't seem like it's really taken, to be honest. And she got a quick promo here. Uh, We got two sentences, one with the accent, one without, where they are going to crush them. And she ended it by saying, because this year, SummerSlam falls on what day? Rusev Day. She'll still do her catchphrases in her accent. She'll still say Rusev by rolling the R. But everything else is just like uh, uh, American. What What do you think that that direction is like where she sits down and they explain this to her? How confused would you be? I don't know. I, I'm willing to bet maybe she's asking for, for that herself as well. I wonder. Um, you know, it must be annoying to try to carry on this Russian accent 24 hours a day. Like, I don't think anyone would care if she just dropped it or just assumed it for her entire promos. Just pick one. It's just so jarring. These promos. It's like, uh, I can't even pay attention. Mm -hmm. They're so different. Paige is on her phone. AJ walks in, warns him that she needs him and Joe to be professional tonight. And she said it didn't go well when she made this request to Joe. And AJ says he made his wife a promise and he plans on keeping it tonight. Part three of the Miz and Brian videos, this one was called Homecoming. And it's Brian announcing he was cleared back in March. We cut to Miz 
So what? He unretired. I didn't care. I'm on Raw. And then Miz is moved to SmackDown during the Superstar Shakeup. And Miz says he's surpassed Brian in every way. And Brian has done nothing since he's returned. Miz says Brian is incapable of surviving without him. He's not going to carry him any longer. And he's going to have to admit that he's better than Brian. And then Brian stares into the camera. They both did this, by the way, where they stared right into the camera to cut their final promos. And Brian said that Miz may have surpassed him in certain ways with a reality show and a big house, but he didn't fight to come back here for a big house and money. This is his passion. He couldn't find a way to live without wrestling. And there is one thing left to do. Get into the ring one-on-one and finally shut Miz up. Really good job from both men. Really good job from the production team as well. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I could say about it is that I, I almost wish that we had this to kind of sink in uh, for a little bit longer. Although I understand wanting to peek at the uh, for uh, like on the go home show for something like this. Um, I wonder, man, like there's so much story in this feud that I feel like they could have done a special on it on the network, like a half hour special, just kind of recapping the 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 contrasting uh, differences in in the lives of both men, and um, hopefully they have a bit more mileage with this feud than just this match at SummerSlam. Um, although you know, I, I would say by this edition of SmackDown, they managed to clinch a pretty good spot for it. Whereas I would have told you last week, um, it didn't feel as hot, nearly as hot as I was expecting it to. Did you like this version versus had they decided to do a sit down with the two of them together where you're playing off the history of talking smack where I feel both would have just like a rock. uh, Austin. Yeah, very much like a a sit down with both of them where they'd be going back and forth. That would have worked, too. But this was almost essentially that, wasn't it? They were kind of talking with it, each other. Like, this lent itself to all the footage and, and highlights they had. I just feel these two work off each other very, very well. And with the talking smack history, you're almost, like, going back to that and putting these two down to really sell this grudge. And I'm not even being negative at all. This this worked tonight. I thought this was the best thing on the show were these three videos. With the, with the resources that they have with this feud, really, like, if it didn't work, it would have been a travesty. So I, I think... You know, um, at the very least, we we got this, and it was good. They all did a very good job here encapsulating this feud in about what what would you say, like six minutes total airtime? Yeah. Listen, I don't think that WWE is really great at capturing a grudge and heightening it to the point that you can't wait to see that match because these two personalities just detest one another. It always goes and veers off into wacky territory or they do one angle too many and you lose that edge. And I think they captured it pretty well with these videos um, to build up a grudge. So uh, I thought that was a big positive on the show. Shelton Benjamin is still here. He was in the ring getting ready for Jeff Hardy. We had a long rest spot as there was a picture-in-picture ad for SummerSlam. Then a whisper in the wind by Hardy. Twist of fate gets blocked. Hardy got the advantage. He climbs to the top. Hardy uh, gets drilled with a flying knee as Benjamin scales the turnbuckle and then falls with a superplex. And then Benjamin goes for the pay dirt. And Hardy, I believe, was going for like a twist of fate. And it turned into like a bad-looking sling blade. And then he just went back and hit the twist of fate with a follow-up splash and pinned him. In 433, 
before he just started staring at his hands. I, I thought this match was kind of just a wreck. It was disappointing. I mean, seeing the two listed here, Shelton and Jeff Hardy, I think, you know, they're very capable of having a much better match than this. Hardy looked a little clumsy and awkward in there. And, you know, with this kind of being cut up as much as it was with commercial breaks, I I don't think we saw the best of this match, even from what we were presented. So, uh, yeah. And then afterwards, Nakamura comes out. Benjamin tries to attack Hardy, so it distracts him as he knocks Benjamin off the apron, and this allows Nakamura to attack him from behind. Goes for a Kinshasa. Hardy ducks it, hits the twist of fate, and a swanton onto Nakamura. And then they cut to behind the curtain, and Randy Orton is lurking. And we cut back to the announcers, who acknowledge Randy is there. And they're getting set to preview the SummerSlam card, and I thought they were going to do the attack off-camera, and then we cut back, and Randy's laid out Jeff Hardy or something like that, but we never went back. Randy was just stalking. Yeah, Randy's role on this uh, SummerSlam and his reintroduction at the last show seems a little unusual. You know, usually when somebody comes back the way Randy Orton does at the last show and him, like, having that brutal, vicious attack on Jeff Hardy with the ear, you would expect that to lead to a match on the pay-per-view that's coming up next. But Randy Orton, his role seems to be relegated to uh, a run-in, I would say, for Nakamura and Hardy. And that seems a little bit... Um, Tele- telegraphed and... Yeah. I, I feel this match odd. is... Yeah, I think this is really cold, this this singles match. I think that... Well, we and, all expect, you know, Orton to do something, right? So how much can you be interested in this Jeff Hardy-Nakamura match? Which, if that's the case, could you have held off Randy's return till this Sunday? Yeah. It just seems like, what what was the point of bringing him back last month to spend your whole SummerSlam buildup every week promoting something that you're not going to deliver? That's that's one of Vince McMahon's big things is don't promote something you're not going to be delivering. Mm-hmm. Final segment. Oh, by the way, they did do the rundown of all the matches, and I don't know if you caught this. They cut out like a bunch of matches because on Monday they they went through each one, and I noted how long it felt. They took out a bunch of the matches here. Oh, so even the recap is they realize it's too long. Yeah, even their rundown they edited it because they realized there's too many goddamn matches to li- to, to not even list all the matches for Sunday because oh. it takes too long. Elias is getting a music segment too, right? They, they, he's they go- he's that. he's he's doing exactly what we joked about. That he's going to perform on Sunday. And I would imagine there's going to be some kind of, you know, whether it be a celebrity or at the very least, Bobby Lashley gets involved. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance of The Rock showing up as a surprise? It's always possible. Uh, I wouldn't waste it. Save The Rock for Mania. I guess it all depends. If, you know, if he feels like doing something and wants to just do a run in, they're Mm -hmm. not going to say no. AJ comes out for the final segment. The crowd is going crazy for him, chanting for him. And he talks about how blessed he's been to be a wrestler for 20 years, going all around the world. And holding this title, there's a lot of pressure. And Samoa Joe was able to hit all of his pressure points. Joe stabbed him in the back, and then he stabbed him in the heart. And this was supported with video evidence. And says he got Styles to be emotional by defending his family. And it sent him to a dark place where he wanted to knock Joe's head off. But then he got home. He hugged his wife and family, and his wife told him not to lose his cool like that. They appreciate everything he does, but he needs to stay focused. So Joe interrupts 
And he comes out with a piece of paper. And he says, this is a wonderful tale you're telling, AJ, but it isn't true. And he reads a letter from a member of the WWE Universe. And this fan wrote to Joe stating that his remarks about AJ's family were disgusting and made them ill. But not because they were wrong, but because they were true. And this fan used to be AJ's biggest one. But AJ clearly never wanted children. Maybe he never wanted a wife. And that's why AJ is such a great champion. Because he will do anything to stay away from his family. At SummerSlam, Joe, I pray that you win so that AJ can have that feeling of losing the thing he loves the most because I lost him a long time ago. Signed, Wendy Stiles. Wendy Stiles is quite the writer. Man. She's quite the poet. Yeah, I think she's been watching her uh, her Stan music video. Oh, something. wow. Yeah, uh, I liked it. I mean... I liked it too. I thought this was... This was like... On the surface, if I described this to you, Way, you would probably groan at the WWE doing this for Styles and Joe. I think both men have pulled this off pretty well, that this is a guy who's just trying to really fuck with this guy's head. And you don't know if he's lying or not. And I I kind of like this. I didn't think this was too over the line or anything in terms of you know bringing family stuff into it, which is a territory that is usually reserved for the ridiculous in WWE. But... I didn't mind this at all. I thought this went off with a, you know, an interest to see this match and a deep-rooted personal issue between them. I like that this Samoa Joe is willing to go into this kind of dark territory. And uh, same with this Randy Orton. I think he and Joe are both very kind of uh, menacing heels that, that SmackDown currently has. And it's a rather refreshing change from, I think you know, um, some of your maybe more PG-friendly heels that we've seen. Um, My complaint about this segment, though, is that it it did feel rushed. I think AJ came across a little like he was rambling here before Joe interrupted him. And then Joe started reading that letter. I feel like we needed a bit of time either for it to breathe or for AJ to have some type of comeback before just cutting the broadcast and going into SummerSlam, which is what this ended off as. Um, This might have been better served if it was last week so that we would get some type of rebuttal and then maybe finally some type of, uh, you know, physical altercation between the two of them heading into SummerSlam. Uh, It did feel a little rushed to me. But regardless, I mean, of course, on paper, just even, I look forward to that match. I guess the counter would be, I'm not looking at Sunday as the end of this. I think they're getting minimum one more pay-per-view where this is more or less the start of the program rather than the culmination of it. I mean, look how many matches we got with Styles and Nakamura. I think these two easily get two, and it could be more than that that will continue after all of this. Um, So anyway, that was the end of SmackDown. Um, I would say that the highlights of the show for me were obviously the three videos for Miz and Brian. I enjoyed the six-man tag with New Day and Sanity, and I, I liked the the final segment. It, were, it worked for me, so those were kind of the, the high points. Low points, though, uh, I think this Nakamura-Jeff Hardy program has really fizzled, uh, if it was even that hot to begin with. I think that one is going in very cold. I was very uh, unimpressed with the Hardy-Shelton-Benjamin match as well, um, so yeah. that was SmackDown for me. Yeah, like you, I'm enjoying a lot of the main programs that they're setting up here, and that includes uh, Charlotte and Becky, which really, to me, is the feud. It's Charlotte going up against Becky. Uh, And then also Joe and AJ, I think, will 
it will be interesting and will should be a good match. And yeah, that's kind of it. Do you want to go to feedback or SummerSlam? Uh, let's do our preview preview quick. Okay, we'll go through this. Actually, quickly. no. Let's go. To, let's go to the feedback. Let's, let's okay. go through the feedback quick. All right. Why don't you start off with uh, the poll for tonight's show? So you guys decided to rate this edition of SmackDown. Do you have a guess, John? I'm gonna say a six point five. Very close. Six point four two. Ooh, that's really close. Very close. Dicky from Brisbane. An okay show tonight, but the standout was clearly the Miz and Brian vignettes throughout the show. The only thing missing was a chicken and bacon ranch sub in the corner of their interviews. Also, with the allegations this past week, I'm not sure if portraying Orton this way was a good idea. My girlfriend, who knows nothing of wrestling, walked past and asked me if that creepy guy was touching himself. Oh, should we go? I guess we have to go over this. Um, So this was... Listen, there's been plenty of Randy Orton stories that have come out over the years. The one in question was from a podcast that Court Bauer did a number of years ago where he talked about when he was on the creative staff and going in to the room and it seemed like it was a ritual where Randy Orton would grab his penis and then shake your hand. So uh, it uh, became the writer's hands. Like the writer's, writer's hands. Hand. Yeah. Yes. So it became the the reputation of not shaking Randy Orton's hand. Where not, if you just, did, not just grabbing his penis, but uh, allegedly having, like, pulling his penis out. Yes. So, yeah, things that should not be happening in any era, as much as, uh, you know, this stuff, of course, not today. This shouldn't have been going on then either. Uh, but that was uh, brought up. Uh, this week, so and the WWE I don't know, the, responded that they would look into the allegations. They, they stated they were looking into the allegations, which I don't know how much that entails, but um, I don't know. He was on TV this week. It's not like they've suspended him. It's not as though they didn't uh, seem to have changed course at all. Like it seems like this is the storyline's continuing as 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 was go- going to before. Yeah, yeah, I would say that if you weren't aware of that, this show would not direct you that there was anything that's changing uh or any hesitancy on their part to promote him or or put him on their television uh we can continue was uh dicky finished here okay he says other comments from my girlfriend was i like how aj's gloves make a picture and i wonder what kind of shampoo aj uses my response obviously one with a brain yes yes all right let's go to rich from winnipeg so we are set for another extra long wwe pay-per-view we're starting at 4 p.m. local time and going till 10, 10, 30. I will be consuming Mountain Dew kickstarts one after another to survive. But enough about Sunday. Let's get to SmackDown. The wrestling was okay at best, basically set up for Sunday. The real highlight was the Brian Miz retrospective, which if done at all, uh, which if done all at once would have been a little too much. So better it got spaced out over the show. My only issue is what are they going to do with Orton in the United States title match? Just do a DQ to advance the Hardy story. And what do you do with Nakamura after? Possibly Daniel Bryan, if he resigns. Anyway, after so much G1 over the past month, then what looks like a decent takeover, we will get the usual letdown with that on SummerSlam. Uh, Nakamura after? Oh, I, I'd really have to see what they do with him on, on Sunday for, you know, they could they could keep him attached to this program. Um, yeah, I you know, sorry, please. I was just going to say, like, they're very low on baby faces. Your two key ones are AJ and Daniel Bryan. And yeah, if Bryan just beats Miz, 
maybe he can move on to something with Nakamura. That's possible. Um, they could do that. I think Styles is going to be tied up with Joe for at least another month or two. So I think they've got to get some more baby faces up and going. And I do not need to see Nakamura continue with Jeff Hardy, who you could argue is the number three baby face on SmackDown at the moment. Yeah, I think Jeff Hardy moves on with uh, Randy Orton and Nakamura. I see him playing sort of like a, uh, an accessory role to this, that whole feud, uh, if it's continuing. I, I also expect Miz and Brian to continue, though. Anyway, we should get it to all that in the preview. We go to uh, Brian from Minnesota, who says, Great go-home show tonight. I feel like the subtleties of dissension between Becky. I like the subtleties of dissension between Becky and Charlotte. The packages they did for Miz and Brian were phenomenal. What do you guys think about these insert pay-per-view promos during a match? While they annoy us loyal fans, there must be a benefit to the company since not everyone sits through five hours of WWE programming every week. I just look at them as shorter commercials. I don't I don't really have a big issue with them. I think they're effective. I think I think I mean I'm not fast forwarding through them and I think they're just another way to get the word out. They don't really annoy me that much because these matches if you can see the content in the bottom of that screen, these matches the, the aren't all that exciting, at least during these commercials anyway. Anthony from Philadelphia, a two-hour SmackDown is already a breeze to get through, but when you get great segments, amazing video packages, a tremendous crowd, and a sense that everything on the show matters, it makes tonight one of the more most enjoyable episodes of a WWE TV show this year. The New Day are tremendous. The Ms. Bryan videos are the best thing I've seen WWE do all year. And I thought all three women did a great job in the opening segment while their tag match and the story of Becky not tagging out but still winning was a nice subtle touch based on their story and last week's match. That said, the closing angle felt a little odd to bring into the story now because it makes me think there's going to be some shenanigans at SummerSlam. I sure hope not. Still a tremendous... Lynch. Claire Lynch. Oh, we can only hope. Still a tremendous episode. Nine Zelina Vega catchy phrases out of ten. Connor from Minneapolis. I will be brief because watching the Sanity entrance gave me a headache that didn't leave. Okay, star, decent promos from all the women. Miz and Brian Daniel package, uh, video packages were great, as would be expected, with the mountain of great material they have. Creeper Orton was comical to me rather than what I believe was supposed to be unsettling. AJ Joe seems like a feud with a lot of potential early on that fizzled a bit down the stretch. Hopefully the match will make up for the just alright build. Question that the Miz and Mrs. promotion being tied so being so tied with in with this Brian feud hurt it at all to you? No, if anything, it, it kind of enhanced Miz as this big Hollywood celebrity. It's everything that Brian does not want to be. Yeah, although I I think Brian's quite good on reality TV himself. He really is a, a sort of a featured part of Total Bellas. The last one is Brandon from Oshawa. I totally forgot Shelton Benjamin even worked for this company. I really don't get why they split some of these teams up. If they aren't going to do anything with either one of them, Benjamin and Gable were a solid team and would fit in nicely on either brand's stale tag division right now. I could even go for Benjamin and a group of veterans heading down to NXT to try and take over for a bit and feud with Undisputed Era heading into war games. If you were to guess right now, what do you see or what would you like to see take place in war games? We're getting way ahead of ourselves. That's in November for NXT. Um, I could see either teams led by Gargano and Ciampa, but I could also see the Undisputed Era kind of defending their their win from last year and that kind of being their match to go against a, a group of baby faces. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, maybe you're, you're, oh, British Strong Style, I guess you can bring, you know, I think somebody like a Ricochet and EC3 could somehow figure into that as well. 
God, they're, they are so loaded so with talent fair. there. Think about the fact by November way, they'll have Keith Lee, mm-hmm. they'll have Ricochet, they'll have Matt Riddle, and who knows who else they'll sign D- before. Dijak, no- D- Dijak's still Donovan Dijak is just like, he's been on TV a handful of times yeah. and he's just sitting there. It's crazy how much they have down in NXT that, yeah. And the problem is you, you bring up more of these guys and it's just like, you're just, you're not getting rid of people on the main roster. And it's a uh, part of me is, I don't know who you want to necessarily call up. And then you have an Oscar problem or an authors of pain problem. It's, it's not as though they're ready-made ideas on the main roster either. But I, I think that that's always going to be the reoccurring issue is that you're, you're just feeding this main roster that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And to something's got to give. Well, it suggests that they they will be. I mean, they probably are in the market of trying to create more content using all their talent, whether it be a British show or maybe an extended hour to NXT or something else for the network. Um, I think I don't know if they'll they'll be cutting trimming the fat anytime soon. So it means cooking more, I suppose. It just seems like with such a diverse roster, you could have such a dynamic. I won't say dynamic. It's still three hours, but that three hour raw, there should not be the dead time on raw that exists that you could have so much different flavor to that show with so many different styles and performers that you have under contract that I I think that was something that when WCW was at their peak, their three hour show was a lot more. you, You had so much more variety on a three hour nitro than you do on a three hour raw. Uh, I suppose so. Although, uh, I'm watching this 98 Bash at the Beach. I don't know if I'm 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 all that thankful for all those storylines that I'm I'm having to sit through. I don't know I how, th- like I don't know if I need two flock matches or even uh, one flock match on a show. Bash at the Beach should not be our blueprint. I will give you that. All right, that's all the feedback we've got. So thank you for posting up at forum.postwrestling.com. We're now quickly going to go into our SummerSlam preview. Of course, we will have review shows Saturday night after TakeOver and Sunday after SummerSlam. My first question to you, Way, is that the show begins at 5 Eastern with the kickoff show. Main show is at 7. Can you give me an exact time you predict this show will end at? Exact time. Okay, that's a good contest or a game. I predict. This show will end, I think it'll go past 11. So I predict 11.08. 11.08. Yeah. I'm going 11.25 p.m. Sure. Yeah. We will find out. close. The kickoff show features Cedric Alexander versus Drew Gulak for the cruiserweight title. Mm Mm-hmm. Back on the kickoff show. Where were they before? They weren't? No. They, they This is their, their standard placement on a, on a pay-per-view. Okay. Um, I think Cedric retains. I think Drew Gulak wins. I think Cedric's held it for a while, and I don't exactly hear... Uh, eh, I just don't know how... I haven't been watching 205 Live, but I think... I don't think the show is as interesting with a babyface champion, and I kind of want to see Gulak with the belt. Will that change your viewing habits, Drew Gulak winning this title? No, not so, really. I think it's a push. Rusev and Lana versus Andrade, Cien Almas, and Zelina Vega. I really think that the two singles matches with Vega and Lana kind of brought this one down. It, mm-hmm. 
This feels like a kickoff match. Uh, it's the positive is that it's so early in the night that hopefully people have gotten into the arena because that happened last year. I remember where the first night, the first match of the kickoff was so early that half the arena hadn't even filed in yet. So I hope that's not the problem. And it's a lively crowd for Rusev, but there's no guarantee that everyone's even made their their way to their seats by this time. To me, this is the mm, more interesting of the two tag team matches that we have on the kickoff and the one I would probably end the kickoff show with. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, but that said, you know, the, the B team revival match is for the raw tag team championship. So I guess they might end it with that one, but I think Rusev and Lana are probably more over than any of the people featured on the kickoff. And I, Expect another strong victory with uh, Selena Vega and Almas to further tease that breakup, um, probably because of English getting involved. Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel against the Revival. I would really love for them to just put the titles on the Revival and we get some change in this tag division and at least some some new opponents, hopefully, that they can work with. But But I mean, like, what story has the Revival had leading up to this win? You know, like have them having the belts is just... It further just kind of hides the belt from, uh, I think, you know, any type of interesting storyline, in my opinion. Like, the B team is the team that's been focused on. Uh, they're the ones that's getting all the airtime. The Revival just, you know, the belts might might as well be defunct. I just prefer the Revival. I'm not stating that they'll probably win, but that's my preference. Yeah, I'm picking the B team retains. All right, let's move on over to the main show here. Let's start with... Uh, Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. Where do you where do you see Bryan and The Miz uh, taking place on the show? Because I think the crowd's going to be just nuts for this match. I think the heat's going to be tremendous. I think um, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, like, uh, uh, emotion. I feel like this is the match that, that, that has the most of it on this entire show. Uh, so I would expect them not to put it Towards the end, I would expect it sort of around the midpoint of this show so that, you know, you could have sort of a, your buffer matches before you get to your main events. Uh, there's no title for it. So I expect it somewhere in the middle of the show. What do you see opening this? Because I'm just looking at this and almost every match here, with the exception of maybe the New Day and Bludgeon Brothers, I think would be a weird way to start the show. I don't think Nakamura Hardy would be weird. I don't think... Even Rollins and Ziggler would be weird to start the show. In fact, the, I might pick Rollins. Although I think yeah. both of those I see outside factors being involved in those matches. And it's kind of weird to start off a show like that where you've got either a Randy Orton interference or something big with Dean Ambrose to do that that just doesn't fit for me in the opener where you kind of just want a you know, a standard match. I think the crowd would be hot for either Rollins or Balor, and especially if Dean is is accompanying Rollins. So in the end, like I, I just see, you know, a hot, fast match opening the show uh, as maybe the best way to do it. And that said, maybe Baron Corbin wouldn't be my choice uh, to, to start the show off. But I 20, 20 minutes from Baron. Yeah. Uh, Balor and Corbin. I, God, I don't know. I guess Balor wins this. I am not looking forward to this match at all. This, to me, feels like maybe one of the, the most fillerish of, of all the shows on, on the on the main show. Um, uh. I could see Baron winning this one. I mean, maybe the the excuse always is, well, Balor loses. He's going to tease the demon, so he has to lose. Uh, I suppose I don't necessarily see much of a point. Um, I don't just, I don't give a shit about this story, man. Like, the thing is, Balor lost already, so I could see him getting the win back. 
uh, will, will you know if he loses again, would he finally bring the demon back? Would the demon be a waste against Baron oh, Corbin? I would totally not do it on this show where he will no, be an afterthought. Not on this show. I mean, even in a, in a future oh, match. I with see. Baron. I see. Gotcha. So I, I'll go Balor for this one. You know what? Also. You know, I am thankful for is that on Raw, they were teasing a lot of these garbage matches that could have filled this card. Lashley and Elias, Bobby Roode and Mojo Raleigh, the authors of Pain against Titus Worldwide. I mean, there were they were teasing a lot. Even even the uh Bailey Har- Sasha. Oh, Bailey Sasha. I guess they are delivering the B team and the revival, but that's on the kickoff. But I mean, at least most of this stuff they just threw on Raw and didn't just load down this card uh with with stuff like that. I did not need Lashley and Elias. This is a much better use of Elias doing the, the concert. Yeah. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, Jeff Hardy. Everyone assumes Randy Orton's going to show up. So maybe that means he won't. Um, possible. Possibly. Yeah. I, do, but, I don't have any care of this match either. I think we're getting through all the garbage here at the start of this preview. It should just springboard to, you know, your Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton match. Yeah. It's just like the two, the focal the focal player in this program is not in the match. It's just a very strange buildup that they've had. Carmella, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair. We kind of tipped our hand on this earlier. Are we both in the camp of put the title on Charlotte and proceed? Clearly, this Carmella run uh, has had its issues, uh, particularly on pay-per-view nights when she's expected to perform in the ring. Putting the belt on Charlotte and transitioning the Becky-Carmella feud to a Becky-Charlotte feud is... I think a good step in in the right direction, especially if you're heading towards evolution and uh, a match between these two, I could see, you know, taking place on that card. So I do see Becky continuing the chase, but this time against her best friend. Dolph Ziggler with Drew McIntyre taking on Seth Rollins with Dean Ambrose for the Intercontinental title. I think this is going to be a great match and whether they tease it or actually deliver it with Dean turning, I think that there is some value to keeping him as a babyface for at least a little while. Um, I, I think the crowd's going to love this. I think they're going to be super hot for this. I think Dean being back feels rejuvenated and they're going to be really motivated to uh, erase the memory of last month's Iron Man match as well. So I think this is going to be a real big standout match on the show. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I, and again, I, I feel like this would be my choice to open the show. Um, I expect something. Mm, would I expect to turn this early? What are they peak? Like, what's the next show that they're doing? Raw? Oh, I guess they're all dual branded, right? So, yeah, what's the next one? After Hell, Hell in a Cell is the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would delay the turn, but I could see them doing it on this show. Thing is, you if you are, in fact, putting the title on Reigns, you are going to need to build up some heels for them, which they're kind of... Mm, I won't say... Yeah, they're, they are a bit short on heels when you think about it. Like, take out Brock from the mix, and you've got Owens... You've got gender. Mm-hmm. But you're still months away from that if if it is indeed Ambrose. Ambrose and Rollins kind of have to get through their story first, right? Yes. Yes, that is true. I'm just looking at the pay-per-view schedule. Yeah, Hell in a Cell is next month in Texas. So that's what they're building to next. Then we go to Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens for the Money in the Bank briefcase. And mm-hmm. I think they are definitely going to want to be hinting at the idea that the winner could cash in at the end of the night and keep people's hopes up that even if Roman wins, he could get the title stolen from him. With the stipulation that Strowman will lose the briefcase 
if he loses by DQ or countout. So I think you could expect Kevin Owens trying all sorts of shenanigans to force that. What if the uh, firing squad shows up? Well, I mean, that's kind of perfect, isn't it? But Finn Balor's already invited them over. So um, I think uh, I think Braun keeps it. I think you're right. I think that Braun keeps it as well. I just don't see Owens being someone that they're going to tease interrupting the main event. I just don't think they've kept him at that level that they the, view him as such. The, like with how protective they've been of Braun Strowman up until this point, I can't see them letting Kevin Owens get such a big, you know, win over Braun Strowman. So, and I think you want to retain that 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 type of uh, you know, anticipation for the main event if it is a uh, Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns. The Bludgeon Brothers versus the New Day for the SmackDown tag titles. I think that you could argue that the New Day winning the titles creates a bunch of new matches because uh, the Bludgeon Brothers have gone through everyone. I don't know what the next, what you do next with these guys. I mean, they haven't really advanced beyond the their those initial vignettes in terms of character work, and they've they've just they've gone through everyone. And as you said, the New Day they do feel pretty hot right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that would sort of be a shame with the Bludgeon Brothers because I don't think they've really hit their potential at all during this run. And if they lose to the New Day and the New Day moves on to who? The Bar? What do you do with the Bludgeon Brothers? I think they just need to, like, put some real creative focus on the Bludgeon Brothers and maybe evolve their gimmicks a little bit more so that they are able to show a bit more personality and hopefully, you know, build to a bigger grudge between the two. I see them retaining, but I could see this being uh, a series a new series between these two. Can you believe that here we are with SummerSlam and you're looking at that SmackDown roster and who is not on this show? You have Asuka, Cesaro, Sheamus, the Usos, and that's not even going Dude, on to... We just talked about all the NXT people they have waiting. You know, this this is a very, very stacked roster. And on a show like SummerSlam, I mean, you're, you're going to... A lot of talented people will be left out. So what's the answer? Like you're you're not going to stop doing call ups. Like, I, I'm not I, I would, I'm not advocating you just cut people either. But this is insane how many people you have on this roster that on a six hour show you can't fit on all these people. Forget like your guys you have on Raw. Like even eh, even a Matt Hardy and a Bray Wyatt on a six hour show. There's no room for these people. Eight hours. That's the answer. You joke. You joke. It would not stun me in the least if they explained WrestleMania is going to be eight hours next year. Not at I feel all. Like it, isn't it already? Ugh, feels like it. Last year was what, seven? Um, it was in this same, like, uh, it probably went seven. Yeah, seven sounds about right. Because they went till about midnight, I think. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe for the WWE Championship. Like you, I think they, these two will continue their feud. I think it should continue, though, with Joe as champion and AJ chasing, because now's the time, in my opinion. I think uh, AJ's had a very good run as a babyface champion. Joe is the type of heel that is worthy of AJ uh, chasing him, and I think that creates for a a much more compelling AJ Styles, him trying to chase this awesome, awesome, awesome monster in Samoan Joe. I think you have the story now that Joe has successfully gotten into his head, and AJ is not at his best in this match. And you don't you don't give away the big match in this one. And Joe, I think Joe should go over. I think he could like choke him unconscious or something like that. Something really effective. 
and he's taken AJ's prize possession, the title. I, I, I would totally be in favor of that. Is Wendy Styles ringside? You saved that. I think you saved that one. Hmm. I think it's too early to to show Wendy or the actress that's going to play Wendy. Oh, Ale- it'd be great if they hired Claire Lynch. That's <laughs> they did with one of Randy Orton's uh, wives. They hired an actress to play his, his wife. Mm-hmm. Alexa Bliss and Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship. I'm very interested to see how they book this. I, I don't know how you don't put the title on Rousey here. Heading into Evolution? Yeah, I could see that. Although, you know, the money really, I think, is still in the chase with Ronda. Like, I think... You're kind of put into a bit of an odd predicament with Rousey as champion because she'll be expected to defend at every pay per view, and I don't, I don't know if you want that for for somebody like a, that's a special attraction like Ronda. Um, I would, oh, I did, would. Did you? Sorry, uh, finish your. Uh, well, no, I, I would say like if you are going to do it, I, I would crown her at Evolution. I think, I think it's a bit more interesting to have her go up against Alexa again in a rematch uh, on a bigger stage. Yeah, uh, you know, bringing up the fact that. Hell in a Cell is next month. You're probably going to see a lot of these matches that are going to be rematches next month. And at least one or two of them, you have to have them come back with a big, with a stipulation that you, I could see some kind of DQ or count out in one of these big title matches that forces them to do the Cell gimmick. For Ronda Rousey in a Hell in a Cell? I'm not saying necessarily that match. Um, I but- mean, that is that is a, an enticing draw. It's a first time ever. It would add a sort of second layer to this Alexa Bliss feud. She's, you know, it's the she's she's back inside of a cage for one want, night only. Yeah, I wonder how she would do with with kind of a, a different style of match with a structure attached to it. Um. So who's yeah. your pick? I think that Ronda's winning this. I'm going Alexa. All right, we're at odds. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, our final one. Is this going on last? Is this a foregone conclusion? Because I think it is. I'm leaning towards yes, because I don't see them. The alternative, I think, would be actually Ronda. Ronda, yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, it could also be AJ and Joe. I think you have two uh, other. I, I, don't, I think it's down to those two. I think it's either Lesnar and Reigns or it's Alexa and Ronda going on last. And I think it's a very small chance that they put the women on last. Though, if you are pushing Evolution and Ronda winning this title, going on last at SummerSlam, and then you build up to her first defense is at Evolution or something like that. Eh, yeah, there, there's definitely a possibility to that. I don't completely discount that idea. I think those are the two candidates. I I'd be very stunned if it was anything else to close the show. Yeah, that's almost just as interesting. Although uh, I think if you're going to do the Braun Strowman cash in, I think I would save that for the main event. Uh, anyway, Lesnar and Reigns. I think this is a very interesting match, not really just for the content of the match, of course, but but also the reaction that the crowd is going to give them. How is Brooklyn going to react to this match? I can't believe, I still can't believe they're going ahead with this. It's like, uh, it could be disastrous. It could be great. They could come up with something incredibly creative at the start of this match that'll just completely work and have this be an electric atmosphere. So I look forward to watching this match. I think, um... It'll be hard hitting, I think, you know. I, I'm curious to see how much Brock Lesnar will do, knowing that he's in a training camp, or at least starting to train for his MMA career. Uh, but in the end, I see this being a crowning moment for Roman Reigns. That will lead to a cash-in. With Braun leaving yes. as champion? Yes. I think Roman's winning this match. I think the best way to do this is 10 minutes. I always say that, and... 
I'm always wrong. So I'm not going to hold my breath that they're going to keep this short and sweet. Uh, but I think that's the best way to do this match. I am going to say there is no cash in. Um, maybe a tease of one. I just... <laughs> Part of me wants to just see that, that after all of this time, after three and a half years of building to this win, that they just snatch it from him instantly. And I can't even say that's a bad move at all. It guarantees your pop at the end of the night as opposed to what I am anticipating, and that is an unruly crowd for however long this match goes. And yeah, it's a real downer to go off the show where the audience is just furious and upset. Um, but I, I, I think... Roman wins this. I won't go the step further and predict the cash in. Does, or Bro- so, so no chance for Brock. I don't. I, I I'm hedging my bet that here is Brock. If he is actually leaving, the idea of him swerving everyone and he wins on Sunday, and then for the first time since 2000, whenever he came back here, 2012, he wrestles on Raw the next night and loses. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Yeah, he doesn't even have to wrestle. Like that could be the cash in on Raw. That but could that, be, but then you don't. Can you have can, that Roman Reigns moment? Oh well, you're right. You don't have the Roman Reigns moment. You could argue that. I don't know if that's necessarily the priority, but could you think of the scenario where Brock, uh, Roman can't lose this match? The way they built it up, he just can't lose it. But uh, part of me does like the idea of Brock winning against everyone's prediction on Sunday. And then on Monday night, he announces he's leaving for the UFC and he's taking this with him. And then you have Braun to save the day. That was always the plan, right? That's what they've announced. Yeah, that he was going to go to the UFC with this belt. By the way, Dana White uh, apparently has seen it. He tweeted LOL at the Roman promo. (laughs) Maybe he'll show up on Sunday. Maybe he'll be there in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Did you see that bat flying around on Raw? Yeah. How did we miss that? I don't, I mean, I, I, th- I think everyone missed it, to be honest. So. Pretty tough to catch, actually. And and oh. seeing Ronda try to keep her So cool good. So good. Great. Yeah. You, s- you saw the close-up where she's like, oh, my God, there's a bat. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> I laughed so loud when mm-hmm. I saw that. I actually didn't laugh so loud, but I, I, I did find it so amusing that a mm-hmm. bat was in the Greensboro Coliseum. Yeah. Unbelievable. That would frighten me. A bat? Mm-hmm. Holy Christ. All right. That's our SmackDown uh, review and our SummerSlam preview. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, Way and I are going to be back. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, which you can join now, uh, we have the double shot coming your way with reviews of Lucha Underground, Being the Elite, and a book review of the new book, Nitro, which I'm staring at now by Guy Evans. So all of that is coming your way. Way, it's always great chatting with you, and I'm going to chat with you in a few minutes. I look forward to it. All right. Goodbye, everybody. And we'll speak with you later this week.